Welcome to The Wild Show with your hosts, Will Chang, Lee Chang, and Andrew Su. Hi, this is Will Chang, and this is our fifth experiment with Evan. We're going to try to tell each other what we learned this week. It's been getting better and better, but it's still not great. So thank you for your patience. <laughs> I appreciate um, everyone that's been listening. Yang uh, from Syndicate said that she, I don't know if I told you this, Evan, but Yang from Syndicate basically told us that she's been using our podcast as a way to do like um, like user research because we've been talking about like DAO stuff. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. And then also Min from uh, Animoco Brands um, told us he listened to the podcast. Appreciate you guys. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, let's go, Evan. What do you have for me today? So I think definitely the biggest news of this past week was what happened in the Terra Luna ecosystem. And for me, I first, you know, I think I woke up to some text messages around like, um, May 7th, May 8th, um, to people talking about how, uh, USD had de-pegged. UST, right? Yeah, UST had de-pegged from the, the dollar. And at first I didn't really think it was that big of news, like uh, stable coins de-pegged from time to time. And I really thought they were going to be able to re-peg it. I even thought, oh, maybe this could be like a good arbitrage opportunity where I can pick up some uh, cheap UST and when it does re-peg to the dollar, I can uh, sell it. But things quickly, you know, should hit the fan around like, I think like May 9th when UST dropped all the way down to 70 cents. Uh, and from there, we just watched the home tires being collapsed like a house of cards over a three-day period. And I think the total market cap that was lost for Terra Luna was equivalent to the Lehman Brothers collapse back in... Oh, really? Like, yeah, back in like 2008, 2009. It was that crazy? It was that crazy. Like, um, wow, I didn't know that Lehman brothers, they had like a $60 billion market cap when they went down <clears throat> and Luna at its peak was uh, around $50 billion with, um, another $30 billion locked in the UST ecosystem. So yeah, I mean, fucking crazy, right? <laughs> but we yeah, basically so, yeah. watched something as big as Lehman brothers collapse and Surprisingly, you know, all everything else was just going down this past week. I don't know how much of it was due to the fact of Luna collapsing or, you know, if it was due to macroeconomic effects, but it, it is interesting that everything we didn't see more reverberations throughout all the other cryptocurrencies despite, you know, a, uh, a token as big as Luna collapsing in on itself. Well, I mean, I think when Lehman Brothers fell, I don't think everything fell at the same time, right? I think it happened over, over time. So we could potentially see more. I don't know. I don't know exactly the mechanics, but we can talk about that a little bit later. But I wanted to bring up our last episode because our last episode... We were actually at a very different topic. <laughs> other side, other deeds had just sold. Like it was a very positive moment for crypto at that time. This was just like last week. And we were just talking about how um, everyone is trying to build a house of cards and trying to get to the next level. And you just had to believe in the story. And um, the story is falling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not, only, not only with Terra, but also with, um, with uh, Azuki. And we can talk about that later. But like... On that episode, last episode, you mentioned how you needed a charismatic leader. And you talked, you, you mentioned Luna and you mentioned Do Kwan, right? And how he was a charismatic leader. Can you tell us a little bit more about how, like, what, what is his, because I know he's posted a lot of it about Twitter, right? On Twitter. What is he's, he like on Twitter? So he's super active on Twitter. He's very engaged with uh, the, they call themselves the lunatics. So he's very engaged with the community. But he's also really aggressive for anyone that questions the Terra Luna ecosystem. They, if they question like if an algorithmic backed stablecoin like UST even works. So I've seen him tweet at people. I think there's tweets of him calling some of his critics like, you know, like retards and like, um, 
he, you know, if, if you criticize him, he'll tweet back at you and say like, have fun staying poor. Um, and I think since he's the, he's essentially the leader of the lunatics, it creates this kind of culture within the community where they act very aggressively towards people that, um, that go against their narrative in a way similar with frog nation, um, frog nation with Daniel Sesta. Uh, we saw the collapse. Was it, did, it, did that happen this year? I can't even remember anymore the collapse yeah. of frog nation. I think that happened only back something in February, like right? That. Yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty crazy. That, yeah. So, um, yeah, frog nation collapsed back in February, but before that, um, they fr frog nation, uh, community was also really aggressive against people that kind of criticized what they were doing on Twitter. So I guess, you know, we're seeing since Twitter is such a amazing tool for a lot of, um, you know, blockchain project leaders, we're seeing these cult of personalities emerge, uh, that's, you know, and these people are really charismatic. They're really good at shit posting, memeing, uh, and also highly engaged with the community. Um, and at the same time, we're also, I guess, seeing their downfall during, yeah. during so all I mean, this. Like it wasn't, it wasn't real, like it was fairly recently where Doquan was so, uh, sure about, uh, Terra and the Luna price that he made like a crazy bet, right? Against somebody. Yeah. He made like a $10 million bet. And I think, I think Kobe is the one that's kind of overseeing the bet and he made it with I think he's just some random, like some wind, random crypto whale that's on Twitter, but they both locked up, I think $10 million betting that the price of Luna in one year's time would be above or below a certain price point. I can't remember what the price point is. Um, yeah. Almost, Dilfon definitely lost that yeah, bet. Yeah, <laughs> definitely lost that bet. But it's, I think it's really sad. L like. I've, I've watched all of this collapse with, I guess, a bit of morbid curiosity, but at the end of the day, it's just really fucking sad, right? Cause so, what, yeah, so let's, again, let's talk about, a, yeah, so let's talk about it a little bit, just real quick. Like there's two different tokens, right? One is like the, the Luna token. So the Luna token went up to $160 and dropped all the way down. to so where is it at right now? It's like it's 0. 0. 0.00 something. It's like right now it's 0. 0.0004. Sense. Yeah, so from $160 all the way to 0.004. And Terra, who's Terra, the stablecoin, that's a, UST, the stablecoin that's supposed to be always at a dollar, is where, where it's at. Where's it at now? It's like, it, oh. went, it went all the way down like 30 cents. It's at, it actually went up 20% today. It's at 18 cents. It's at 18 cents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so both of those tokens have def definitely gone down <clears throat> um, really quickly, like in a death spiral. So maybe you can explain to us why they both went down at the same time. Like what is their, what is their relationship to each other? Yeah. So, I mean, UST and Luna, they're kind of like sister tokens. Um, it's an algorithmic stable coin. So technically there's no, not, there's no hard collateral backing UST. Um, so, so what is backing UST? What's backing UST is Luna and what's backing Luna. Well, actually nothing's really backing Luna. It's just, it's just. The belief a in, story. Yeah. It's a belief in the Terra Luna ecosystem and a belief that this governance token is worth some amount of money because UST will probably, you know, might hit mass adoption. And due to all the protocols that are being built on the Terra blockchain, there's going to be a lot of value um, derived out of that. But since UST is pegged to Luna, basically every time you want to exit UST, you burn it. And it creates every $1 of UST is worth $1 of Luna. So when you burn USD, it creates $1 of Luna. And if you, if you want to totally exit the ecosystem, you have to, uh, dump your Luna. So a def right. yeah. So let's do the math. Yeah. Let me, let's do, do the math real quick. Just so I understand. So basically if Luna is at $1, right. And I want to basically convert to UST, then, uh, then I would get $1 UST, right. Yeah. But then if Luna goes back up to $2 and then I basically convert UST back to Luna, then I would only get uh, half of UST Luna, right? Is that how it works? Yeah. So it, 
So basically it depends on people arbing between UST and Luna. So let's say UST, um, it goes to like 90 cents on the dollar. Mm. Then a arbitrager could buy UST on the market, trade it for $1 worth of Luna and they make 10% profit. And then in a situation where it's vice versa, for whatever reason, UST trades above $1, um, like a dollar and 10 cents, you can buy a dollar of Luna and swap it to UST um, and then get 10% of profit. So basically it depends on people trusting in Luna and UST and constantly arbitraging between, you know, between both tokens to main, for UST to kind of maintain its, uh, its pegging. But then when, I guess, when people don't believe in Luna anymore, then you create this situation where it's kind of a bank run on UST. Um, people dump their UST, more Luna gets created, which hyperinflates Luna. Luna loses its value and around and around and around it goes until the situation where we see currently where there's way more Luna, uh, the Luna, the, the market cap of Luna is just way higher than the market cap of Terra. So, I mean, sorry, vice versa. The market cap of UST is way higher than the market cap of Luna. So there's nowhere for people to be able to exit out of, um, their UST. And so, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, this is pretty crazy because I've been looking to get, I was looking to get into the Terra ecosystem for a while. Um, I've been I was kind of loosely following since last year because we all know, or that, um, within the Terra Luna ecosystem, we have Anchor and Anchor is essentially like, they call themselves like a savings account and they guarantee risk-free 20%, uh, I forgot it's like AP, it's either APY or APR, but, uh, guarantee 20% on your UST that is slumped into anchor. And that's, you know, that's pretty awesome yields, right? Um, you, there's no, there's nowhere else. You can't even get that in like safe, like safer investments, like, you know, index funds or whatever. So I was thinking about converting a good chunk of some of my savings and throwing it into Avery just to get that 20%. Thank God I didn't purely because I was lazy <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to take my USD and like convert it and, and, and put it on into the anchor protocol. And I was just, so I was just kind of watching it from afar and observing, um, what was happening in the ecosystem. But yeah, just yeah, that, crazy. Yeah, that's a really sad part, right? Because anchor is kind of the, like seen as a bank almost like a BlockFi or something like that, that people thought was a safe thing that they could do to get like a 20%, like a really high interest rate. Um, so a lot of people put their savings into UST because they were like, they were generally like, okay, we're going to be risk averse, right? We're not going to, the, the, the market's already volatile right now. So instead of basically putting it into something volatile like Bitcoin and Ether, either I'm going to put it into UST, which is a stable coin, which is supposed to say a dollar. And then while it's at a dollar, I'm going to just get 20% APR. So a lot of people didn't really understand or know like the mechanics to that, that made it a possibility that they could lose it, right? Um, so that's the sad part. Uh, some of the funny parts is like I've heard, I've been um, well not funny but interesting parts is that like um, no there actually there isn't really that much funny <laughs> stuff. It's actually really sad. <laughs> yeah, it is really sad. I mean, at the end of the day, a lot. A lot of people left holding the bag were uh, retail yeah. investors. I think yeah, because yeah, the sophisticated funds, they saw the writing on the wall, they knew all the dangers and they were able to exit out early. And now you basically have the, I guess, I guess people call us like the dumb money holding the bag stuck with a bunch of UST that they can't get rid of and I've, I saw stuff on like their subreddit about people, you know, committing suicide, um, just devastated because of life savings were locked up within what they thought was a risk-free savings account. Um, yeah. and there's going to be all these second order effects because I did hear that some C5 products 
were using Anchor on the back end. And essentially they were, you know, telling their users that, oh, you, if you put your money with us, um, we can guarantee you, you know, like I don't know, 12%, 13%. And on the back end, they were putting these people's money into Anchor and then pocketing the difference for themselves. So. Yeah, that's the scary part for me is because like, I have all these friends and me included that have money on BlockFi or Celsius or a lot of these different like uh, high eight, high like interest rate banks, right? And what they're doing is they've been basically just yield farming and they're trying to find the best interest. And then they're basically taking that interest and then giving a par portion of it to their users, right? And so if you have your money on like a Celsius or a BlockFi, like you don't know where, where they're trying to make that money, right? And then so they could, so BlockFi sent me an email the other day saying that they're not exposed to UST, but I, there's a lot of these type of, type of different banks and it makes sense why they would put it into Anchor because it was such a, such a trusted uh, protocol in getting that interest rate. Um, the, the crazy thing is that it was so believed that, you know, like a bunch of market makers and Binance and all these companies were basically putting tons of money into, into the ecosystem that it was valued at $50 billion. So what actually happened? How did, how did this uh, whole thing start? Um, so pretty crazy. Essentially, people are calling it an attack. I don't really know if we can classify it as an attack. Because um, it, it wasn't really like a hack or something like that, right? Like, essentially, someone used market dynamics and the fact that they knew UST was a house of cards to uh, crash it and make a lot of money. So I, I don't really know if you called, called what happened to attack. But essentially, um, Terra was about to, they, they had proposed for a new type of pool on Curve, a uh, stablecoin DEX. And they were about to move some liquidity to this new four pool that they were proposing on Curve. And that's when the attackers sprung because they knew they were vulnerable at that time. Um, so they, the attacker had a bunch of UST. They dumped it on Curve, um, which ended up depegging it from the dollar and destabilized it. And then I saw the attacker dumped more UST on Binance, destabilizing it a bit more. So it was kind of like wobbling a bit. I think it, de it like destabilized it so that it was around like maybe like 96, 97, 97 cents. Um, and at the same time, some people were exiting out of Anchor, uh, causing a lot of selling pressure because when you exit out of Anchor, you have to mid to Luna. And then when they were in Luna, they were probably dumping it for, you know, USDC or something else. Um, and quickly after that, the Luna Foundational Guard announces that they're going to be deploying the reserves that it has to try to depend the, defend the peg. It doesn't work. Shit really hits the fan around like May 9th or so. Uh, UST drops down to like 60 cents. And that's when the death spiral really starts. Every, everyone's trying to exit for the doors. Um, and basically you have a bunch of people trying to get out of this quickly shrinking door. Um, and during all this, I think Anchor Protocol loses around 80% of its total value locked. Uh, all UST holders are trying to burn the UST for Luna, uh, causing Luna to further crash down in price and hyperinflate. And that basically brings us to like, you know, around like May 12th, when uh, the Terra blockchain, they have to pause blockchain activity because now that Luna is so cheap, there could be a governance attack on the chain. Um, yeah, and that so basically let me, brings us to yeah, that. So yeah, so so like let me let me tell you like my my how I'm understanding this how this attack happened. Right, people are saying that it could be like BlackRock or Citadel. People, other people are saying that it's that's all fake, it's conspiracy stuff. But basically, somebody uh, borrowed a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin, and um, while yeah, while basically the liquidity was in, was was moved off of the three pool, they went in and basically traded bitcoin with ust right so they basically gave because uh because doquan 
because they felt like they couldn't completely rely on the algorithm, they felt like they needed to back it with something. So they backed it, they backed it with Bitcoin, right? So they've been buying up Bitcoin and then they've been buying lots of Bitcoin in order for uh, them to have some type of reserve. And so they traded, uh, this, this attacker traded a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin with UST. So now this attacker has a billion dollars worth of uh, UST and then Doquan and Luna have, a, like LFG has a billion dollars of Bitcoin, right? This attacker basically sells the billion dollars of UST, right? Because the selling pressure is so crazy and the arbitra arbitragers can't like keep up, it, it forces the price down from $1.99 to 98 cents all the way down, starting to come down, right? And then as that, that de-pegging is happening, people are seeing that de-peg and they're starting to get scared, right? Including, including uh, LFG, right? And because, because that price is going down and that, that there's so much selling pressure is pushing it down and people are starting to lose faith in the house of cards, LFG decides that they're gonna basically sell their Bitcoin uh, to basically try to get the, the, yeah. the UST back so to the dollar. So LSG right? actually loans $750 million of Bitcoin to market makers. So the market makers can try to defend the pay. And then I also believe that LFG loaned the other $750 million. Uh, they loaned $750 million of UST to try to buy back Bitcoin when the volatility uh, will eventually kind of subside. But obviously, it never subsided. Yeah, and then so, so basically, the problem with Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is volatile too. And so they bought Bitcoin at like forty six or something like that, and then it drops like thirty six. There's just there's already selling at a loss, right? But because they have to sell so much Bitcoin to kind of keep the peg, the bit like Bitcoin's price dropped because LFG was selling like basically selling Bitcoin at such a high volume, right? And then so the selling pressure of Bitcoin goes up goes down goes up so that the Bitcoin price goes down as Luna price goes back up. And then so basically then um, as they try to basically push the price back up to the UST, Bitcoin is lower. And then that that uh, that uh, attacker basically buys all the Bitcoin, billion dollar Bitcoin back up now that the price is low and they, they pay back the loan and they're not now up $800 million. Yeah. Fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of the rumors around um, the attacker being like Citadel or BlackRock um, were were confirmed to be false. I think I saw, I saw it on the Milk Road newsletter, but um, basically Citadel confirmed that they were not behind this attack. And I think as of right now, no one really knows who was behind it. I did see some screenshots of. Uh, Justin Sun, who is the leader or the founder of, is it Tron? The Tron blockchain? Tron, yeah. Tron, yeah, Tron yeah. blockchain. Uh, he did tweet out saying that he was about to buy a lot of UST like a few days ago or a few weeks ago. And it was a very mysterious tweet. And I don't know what ended up happening, happening to it. So there's also some rumors that maybe you know, Justin Sun was behind it, but I also think it's unconfirmed. So, okay. So then, so basically people started not believing in UST anymore, right? And so they're selling out of UST. And because they're selling out of UST into Luna, how does the Luna price go, start going down? Is it because people are selling out of UST? Yeah, so they're selling out of UST. In order to get out of UST, you have to get into Luna. And because so much Luna is being minted, and then also subsequently being dumped because people are trying to totally get out of the Terra Luna blockchain, Luna ends up hyperinflating and the price of so Luna just gets just, pushed down. There's a bunch of sell pressure against it. So every time UST gets converted to Luna, they're not, they're not, they're not actually exchanging. They're basically creating more Luna. Yeah, right? yeah. So there's no cap on the amount of Luna that can be created. It can, it, I guess in theory, the Luna can be, you know, created into like infinity. I do believe there is a cap on how much UST can be burned and minted for Luna per day. Um, I'm not sure what the cap is, but I think I saw that there is a cap for it. And that's why actually one of the proposals right now is to lift the cap on how much UST can be burned for Luna so they can clear out, you know, 
essentially everyone that wants to get dumped to UST and they can come start from scratch again and uh, figure out ways to revitalize the blockchain. But So is that what's, is that where we're at today? Is they're trying to basically start from scratch? So the last proposal that I read about was that they're trying to clear out all the people that want to, they're trying to provide a ramp for everyone that wants to still get out of the USD for Luna. And then after clearing all of that out, there's a proposal to bring back UST as a collateralized uh, stable coin. But I don't see so how that's going to happen, yeah. right? Like, I don't yeah. definitely, no one's going to believe their story anymore. And So, so basically, uh, Doquan <laughs> believed that an algorithm stable coin would work, but basically it they, they're no longer going to do an algorithm stable coin. They're going to do a collateral, collateralized one. Exactly. Oh, and what's even crazier is there is also news that Dongquan was behind another algorithmic stablecoin that had previously failed before he formed Terraform Labs. And that stablecoin was called uh, Basis Cash. And I think he was like an Anon. It was an Anon-founded protocol. And it was revealed that he was one of the Anon, Anon founders behind it. Yeah, and they called it a rug pull, basically, right? Yeah. Yeah, so th that's the crazy thing is that this news that Do Kwan uh, had rugged a previous similar project in trying to create a stablecoin and, and basically rugging the project. Same news, sa that news came out around the same time as when Zagabon, the Azuki, Azuki founder, uh, got, got basically uh, found out that he had three projects, uh, NFT projects, that also people started calling rugs. And so, I want to take you through this crazy thing, Azuki, because I'm a, I'm a big fan of Azuki. Uh, you, you just picked up his <laughs> Azuki. Congratulations. Thank you. Welcome to the garden. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this entire week, I was just, you, while you were watching Luna, I was watching Azuki because it's just it's really fascinating what was going on. So, um, I think on May 9th, Zagabond out of nowhere came out with this new article on Mirror talk, talking, talking about a builder's journey. And he goes through and he lists out three projects uh, during. So this is already this is already during like we're we're seeing all the prices drop of crypto, right? And so this is already happening right at at this time he releases this article. And he talks about how he's learned from his previous three projects, and he talks about his first project where um, he talks about crypto funks. Crypto funks is basically a copy of crypto punks, but basically all the all the um, the images are reversed. So instead of looking, I think, right, it, you look left, I think. And then uh, the second project is this project called Tendies. Uh, basically, it's like a experiment around um, like chicken tenders, like um, having like, like rare ch chicken, minting chicken tenders. And there's a third one called CryptoZunks, which is like, a, a new way of minting CryptoPunks similar looking uh, NFTs, but it's more of like using like a roll of, of a dice type of mechanic, right? And so in the in the actual episode or in the actual article, he t he doesn't talk anything about anything other than how these are these are all great learning experiences that helped him build into Azuki. That was his narrative, right? Did you know and, anything yeah. about these projects before he announced it? Like, had had you heard anything about them or? Uh, yeah, I've only, I've heard of uh, <coughs> Funks, right? I've heard of Funks because there was this debate around Larva Labs and how they didn't give out IP licensing rights. And so they, uh, so I heard of Funks in that, like there was a derivative project that basically copied Punks and were giving out licensing rights to their Funks. Mm -hmm. um, as kind of like a, uh, just kind of like a way for, I don't know if it's like a protest or if it's just a, a, a way to, I, like, I didn't really know what it was. It was the, the narrative around it was more of like a protest against Larva Labs, but I think it's also just like, kind of like a way for them to, to borrow credibility too. Right. Mm. That was the only one I heard of, but I didn't really know that much about it. And from the article, I didn't because I didn't really know much about the 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 communities. From the article, I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, this guy is just a builder. He's an experimenter, and these are just experiments." And I'm glad he did these experiments because 
it led to like and really understanding the community, really understanding the mechanics, and led up to, led led them up to basically building up Azuki in the way it's been built, which is really good, right? And then after he posted that art article, like all this shit came out and, and basically talking shit about Zagabond and how he was basically the all three are rug pulls. Right? Yeah. And there was so much heat on him that uh, the next morning, Andrews and Wang uh, got in the spaces with Zagabond for like 30 minutes to talk about uh, like what happened. And what what a horrible spaces. <laughs> it was terrible. When I was uh, listening to it, I was basically like, man, this is why some people need media training. Yeah. So I, so I personally was like, oh man, this is going to be easy, right? All you do is just say sorry. And you know, like, so I was telling the Dow, hey, like <laughs> Azuki has dropped from 30 to like, we're like at 16 or 17 right now. We should get as many as we can because after the spaces, it's going to go back up. So I was, uh, that's, that's kind of my pitch was like, okay, I, I think it's going to go back up, right? Thankfully, thankfully, we didn't buy it <laughs> and you don't listen to me because I, I sat on the spa spaces in the morning and it, it was really weird that Zagabond was like, okay, I only have 30 minutes, right? So, so he came in 30 minutes and it was just terrible. Like they would ask him questions and it was all about, he just defended his narrative, which is like, it was just an experiment. And I didn't know, I didn't, it was, there's non-ill intention and um, it is what it is. He's very unapologetic. Um, yeah, and I actually thought who the person who moderated what was his name? Uh, Andrew Wang. Oh yeah, Andrew Wang. I actually thought he did a pretty good job moderating it. Like yeah, he did. Toward, toward the end, he asked some pretty tough questions, and you could even I felt like you could even hear in his voice that he knew this was going terribly, <laughs> and he was yeah. l slowly losing faith in the whole entire. Uh, Azuki uh, kind of like team and I guess like yeah project. And then also it was a little bit weird because too, I think there are a lot of people angry because Andrew Wang had a bunch of people that wanted to go on. Like he had already like had a list of people that he, that critics that he wanted to bring up in the spaces to ask them questions. But I think in the spaces, there were so many people he couldn't find the people to bring up. So there was like a, like a big anger around that too, um, that they weren't allowed to ask questions. So they thought Andrew Wang might be working with, um, Zagabon to like defend his bags. There was a uh, Andrew Wang. Yeah, there were a lot of pitchforks out, and it was kind of like this mob. Because I remember right when the Twitter Spaces ended, all he started letting random people speak within the the spaces, and it just descended into chaos. Where it felt like people were just shouting over each other, and everyone yeah. was just really, really angry. I've actually never seen anything like it. Maybe because I, I haven't been a part of any bad projects, but this is like the first time I've actually seen so many people talk shit about a project and just like, just rip it apart. Um, and obviously, I think Zagabon got the, the um, like, the got grunt. the clue. Oh. And, well, I mean, like he understood, okay, maybe I fucked up there. So like that, that night he did basically <laughs> read a tweet basically saying how he fucked up and that he's sorry. And he made the, the funks, tendies and zunks as, a, as like his narrative was like their learnings, but he didn't, he wasn't transparent enough or communicate enough with the handovers. So like, then he basically made a point where basically he's going to be, he will hand over the control of the contracts and then figure out, uh, like the redistribution of the funds because it is, it, I mean, I, I thought about it a while and then it is, they are rug pulls, right? Cause like, would I have done what he done, what he's done? I wouldn't. Right. So, so what happened was, um, the minting actually wasn't that like, they didn't actually make that much on the minting. Right. So like crypto funks, I think the main cost was like 0.01 ETH. I think 10 was 0.04 ETH. And then crypto zones was like 0.05 ETH. Right. And so the minting, the minting didn't, um, they didn't make that much money, but with 10 for example, they only minted 15% of the ETH. And then they, they just took the money and then they just, they basically closed the project because it, it, it didn't go all the way through. I understand why he might have done that, right? Because refunding costs money. Mm -hmm. And if you're anonymous and you don't have, you're not accountable, then you don't have to actually do it. Right. And you could just, but then, yeah, he did take the money and run. Right. With, with crypto, crypto funks, 
I think like basically once they got a, uh, a like Larva Labs uh, DMCA taking down request, um, they basically abandoned the project. But they didn't give the contract to the community members and they didn't give any of the money to the community members. They just took the money. And then I think there was like a bunch of wash trade, trading on uh, Luxrare, where they basically made like 300 ETH on Luxrare. Um, but that didn't, but they didn't do anything with, I mean, they didn't give that to the community. They just took it, right? What was, what were the expectations of people that minted crypto funks, zunks, intendies? Was there actually like a roadmap or, you know, like, like future expectations for building out this ecosystem or were people minting it at first just to just for fun for like shits and googles i i mean i think everyone mints things especially at that time because they want to make money right mm -hmm. but like there wasn't i don't think that they so zagabon says that they delivered everything as promised which is true right other than other than tendies because tendies they didn't even finish the mint because not, not enough people minted and they just closed everything down. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they, they got everything that they promised away and then they basically gave away their discord and gave away the, like the community to the community members, but they didn't, they didn't give the money to the community members. Um, and then another thing that they're really upset about too, was that, um, for Zunks, the um, Twitter handle was like Amanda. So it was like a girl or Mandy. And they were really upset that, uh, they were really upset that Zagabon basically pretended to be a girl when, um, when he wasn't. But like, but I guess what he was saying is that there, there were like stories driven uh, accounts. And then it was also managed not by him, but also by other people, including Liz, which is right now the head of growth for Zuki. Mm. So what's yeah. your, like after watching all of this happen, um, I guess like, what are your key takeaways? Uh, yeah. So I, my key takeaway is that I wish I had way more liquidity so I could buy up more but I could have bought up a bunch of at like ten. <laughs> I was like, I was like, man, like this is the perfect time to buy right now. Did, when what price did you get yours yet? I got it at ninety. So at nine, oh dude, you got it the best. Yeah. So I mean, now awesome. now it's back to like what sixteen? Yeah. So 16 like or seventeen. Yeah. So like sixteen or something. Yeah, I wish I had. I wish I had a bunch of just buy buy because I didn't. I honestly didn't think there's a lot of people that actually ended up leaving the ecosystem. Uh, and we're really disappointed by Zuki, but I, I actually don't think that any of that make, like any of that matters. There is a character problem, right? There is a, like, basically like, yeah, if Zagabond has done those with different projects, he would do this, this, that with Zuki, but I don't think it's the same, right? Because, um, those projects were clearly experiments. Like if you just take a look at what they were doing, they're clearly like really small scope things just to learn shit, right? Whereas Azuki is a very ambitious project. So they're basically taking on lots of people that like are like building a team, taking on advisors. Like there's, it's so high visibility that there's no way that they do that. And so it doesn't make any sense that uh, it, it's similar, right? There's obviously a character issue there that might make you untrustworthy a little bit. But at the same time, like that, that like credibility in terms of, or like being able to rely on him as an anonymous account has changed because Azuki has become so big that he's now highly visible. And so he, he, he will be, it, there will be, um, accountability. Do you right? have so? any qualms of, so you did say his previous three projects were rug pulls in your opinion. So do you have any qualms about supporting someone? that has done these, I guess, rug pull experiments, <laughs> you, you could call them? Yeah. Uh, I mean, okay. So I call them rug pulls because I think, so as a founder and as someone that like really cares about uh, like what happens at the end, I personally probably would have done everything I could when a project failed to do, like do right by essentially my investors, right? Mm -hmm. And my users, right? But 
that takes an incredible amount of sacrifice, like personal sacrifice and personal like extra work um, that I don't think many people really understand or are aware of. Like you actually have to hurt yourself in order to do these things um, that like you are not going to get taking getting any credit for. It just and then also like these are pro these are such small scope projects right so i understand like from an empathy standpoint like why he would do it because it's, it's the easiest thing to do it might not have been out of ill intention but it's just the easiest thing to do right um i wouldn't have done the same thing because i'm just kind of maybe built different than him but i think i think a majority of people would do the same thing like high majority right i think someone that would do what i would do is just stupid because i'm 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 stupid right but I think a majority of people who are rational and logical would do the same thing. So if if you're now running a project like this, I actually don't feel like there's any risk in that happening because of the scope and what he was trying to get out of this previous. I, I guess I'm not asking about the risk. I'm asking more about you're basically supporting someone that has a fundamental different uh value system from you in some ways right like i guess yeah maybe i like mean integrity yeah. and like you know the the integrity and in how you're going to run a project how you're going to take care of your users at the end of the day um <clears throat> like you just mentioned it you and him are both very different and to the extent that we support some of these new you know nfts is still a very young space and there's only so many blue chip projects, right? Like you can probably count on one hand how many blue chip projects there are. And one of them, I guess, Azuki's has like a black eye now. And it's very obvious from talking with you that he, this guy, Zagabon, he might have some slight integrity issues. Maybe it's a learning experience um, for the future. Who knows? Um, but how does that, the, are there any qualms within you from, I guess, like, I guess like a morality standpoint of who you want to put your money. Yeah. In. So, I mean, I, I, I think at the end of the <laughs> day, like, like, I mean, people generally are, I mean, like people can say, everyone can say that they're not going to be what, do, do what Zagabon does, but I guarantee you most people will be, are like Zagabon. So actually, yeah, I understand that he might not be the, like the most upstanding person ever. But I would say a majority of person when it when when things are the like basically doing nothing is the easiest thing to do. They're not going to do any. They're not going to do anything, right? And so I'm okay with that actually because that's just how the the world is, <laughs> and that's fine, right? What 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 really matters is mechanics and incentivization, right? So like, how do you keep yourself in the same aligned interest as Zagabon, right? Because obviously Zagabon is cutthroat enough where he's going to steal money from all the other projects and basically put it into Azuki and build out Azuki. Without these other projects, without him stealing money from the other projects, Azuki wouldn't have probably happened, right? And so, like, as long as I'm incent my incentives are aligned, uh -huh. and I'm okay with holding Azuki. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess that's just, I mean, that's just, how, that's just how the world works, I think, in my, in my opinion, is like, you can't, you can't, like, you just have to make sure that your incentives are always aligned. If your, your incentives are no longer aligned, then you have to be watch out like watch your back right but as long as your incentives are aligned then you can at least like you know trust that the mechanics and his own like selfishness is going to help you out your help yourself out mm -hmm. very pragmatic yeah. approach to this situation what do you think about the future of Izuki? so for me i i think we talked about it like briefly online but i was kind of hesitant about picking up an Izuki. i've been eyeing Izuki's for a long time uh mainly due to all the hype driven by you, I think. And then also, <laughs> also because, you know, it's like one of the biggest, I guess, like Asian American API type projects out there. Um, I thought the artwork was really cool uh, as a fan of someone that's a fan of like anime when they were in like high school and stuff. So I was thinking about picking one up for a long time, but it was really expensive. And when the price started tanking, I was thinking like, oh, you know, this could be a pretty good uh, buying opportunity, but one of my biggest qualms about it was that I feel like a lot of value behind these NFT projects are from the NFT community at large, right? Like, so people, like if you ask a rando on the street, 
they're probably not going to give a fuck about what a board ape is or the fact that you own a board ape. Maybe they might've heard about it from like, in, you know, heard about it in passing or some like, um, maybe from like Jimmy Fallon or something like that. But for the most part, I don't think the broader population really cares about NFTs and they actually probably have a quite negative outlook on NFTs. So my thing was, okay, well, a lot of these blue chip NFT projects are dependent on other NFT people wanting to own that blue chip project. And because Azuki's has this kind of black eye now, and there's kind of like this mob out with pitchforks against Azuki's, how do you think that will uh, affect the value of the community going forward? I think as long as Azuki continues to execute and prove the naysayer is wrong, I think everything's going to be fine, right? So we're at a point now where the story that there's a, the belief in the story is wavering, right? And I think if we continue to see patterns of, of the Yuzuki team not delivering in terms of like making making dope shit and make like continue pushing the thing like pushing the uh, story forward and showing different ways of being engaged with the the ecosystem, then we'll start seeing more of more of a, like basically a, a bank run, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we're there yet. I think. I think there's enough of a of a there's enough believers with the capital to basically continue to keep it up, right? And as as we will see, like we'll have to see the execu- from the execution ability of whether or not people will start believing again. Elon Musk has had the most haters like ever uh, with Tesla, right? There was a period of time where Tesla was the most short stock, where everyone thought it was a bad business, and it was a bad business. But Elon Musk basically grinded it out and eventually made his story true, right? He lived, he slept on for three years as a, as as like one of the most richest people in the world. He slept on on the Tesla factory floor for three years. Uh, what do you so? What do you think? Like the end state of Azuki's, if you had to relate it to some kind of existing brand. Um, what do you think that would be? Because that's something I was kind of thinking, you know, thinking about too, is like, how big can Azuki's realistically get? What brand out there that is maybe, you know, publicly traded or just like a really well-known brand, could they end up becoming? I mean, it's, I think it's hard to think about it. Uh, it's hard to think of like a direct um like a direct match because it's so different but the the way that i would probably think about it is like some type of ip like star wars or um like a marvel or um like basically you have a bunch like a whole a big world with a bunch of characters that you can make toys out of you can create um stories like comic books yeah comic books uh, you can create like, uh, like, what is it, Disneyland and stuff like that out of like things like that, right? You can create this entire world where there's a there's a bunch of ways to engage with all this 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 content in this this universe. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So eventually, I pick one up too. <laughs> yeah. So but, how, do, how do you feel being how do you feel being part of the Azuki now? Um, I kind of. You know, when I first bought it, I was pretty excited, I guess, because I thought it was just a really good deal at 98. Yeah. And yeah. I love bargain shopping. <laughs> I love being able to get good <laughs> deals. And yeah. so I bought one. I looked at it for a bit. And then I went on the Discord, joined the community. Um, and now I'm just, you know, I think I'm excited to be a part of it, mostly because I know you're a part of it. And it's just another, it's just one more thing that we can connect on and talk about and like, um, kind of keep track of and see what the latest events or news, uh, is around this this Zuki project. I think it is going to be really interesting to see what their, uh, NFT New York party is going to be like. I wonder if there's going to be, you know, if Azuki voters are going to face some hate going into NFT New York, or maybe they're leaving their party might. They, you know, some have some haters there that are really vocal and stuff. So I yeah. think that's kind of good, going to be the first big test because they're yeah. they're actually stepping out into public 
and it wouldn't yeah by the time nft new york happens it's going to be like a like a month from now or a month and a half so some of this um some of this anger probably would have died down a bit so it'll be interesting to see like if people still remember about everything that's that's happened and if there's still a lot of haters out there yeah i mean the zuki has become so polarizing um there's almost become a, like there's an enemy now and there's like a religion, almost like a religious belief in it too, on the other side. Um, and then also it's interesting because like, I mean, before Azuki events or any event, when it's really well done, there's a lot of money put behind it to make it a really good experience. Then you're like, oh shit, this is dope. But then now with Azuki stuff, like if, the, if they spend a lot of money on a, like a real life event, then a lot of people are, well, I, at least I will be questioning kind of like, this is a good idea right now because you know you just stole a bunch of money from all these other projects and other people. Should you world. really be flaunting it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rubbing it in people's right? faces. <laughs> yeah. So then that's kind of the that's kind of the thing is that like it's it makes it changes the way people think about things. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think that's basically right. the episode. Is there anything else you want to talk about or any other? Oh, I just uh, one thing is like yeah man like both these guys uh, rug pulled with previous projects caused the NFT market and the DeFi market to go down. I just wish I just wish they weren't Asian guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all. Th this is definitely a very this is definitely not a good look for the industry as a whole, right? You you have like this drama within like DeFi, uh, one of the biggest kind of utilities for crypto and then you have all this drama within the nft community this probably the second or the next biggest utility for crypto so definitely a sad week yeah. but hope i'm sure yeah. as prices rebound everyone's going to forget in two to three weeks and the next cycle we're probably just going to repeat ourselves and the same thing's going to happen again yeah feels like covid <laughs> all right thanks evan all right it's real Thank you so much for listening until the end. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It'll help more people like you find us. You can find more about us on wild.show, WLD.SHOW. Please subscribe to our newsletter or DM us on Twitter. We'd love to get to know you.